And I probably just kind of took it step by step by saying, you know, well, I love this, so I want to work on it. And that's how I've been able to kind of navigate that career. You know, some of it's being the right place at the right time, but a lot of it's following your passion and what you care about and what you love. If you can find a job that is completely aligned with your personal interests and passions, I think most of us would say that is a huge win. Well, today's guest has won that lottery. Christine Taylor has had some amazing experiences that have totally aligned with their personal interests and passions in ways that I think most of us just could hope and dream for. Christine is a creative and pop culturalist with experiences in film and video, music, theater, and has worked for many years in TV and movie entertainment licensing. This includes consumer products, content development, and events for fan brands. Now, when I say fan brands, I'm talking about some of the biggest and most well-known brands and properties in the world. Here are a couple of hints. Sit back and enjoy this episode of Design Of, where we talk about the extraordinary things that happen around us every day and the people behind them. I'm your host, Justin Ahrens. Enjoy the show. I can put my Stormtrooper helmet on if you want for the teaser. Oh, well, <laughs> let's just get that out of the way and I'll take a picture. I mean, that's the best ever. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I much I, I like you much better like this. Oh, okay. <laughs> My friend. How are you? I'm wonderful. It is so great to be here with you today. I know. I miss you. I miss you too. I'm Christine Taylor, and I am a creative manager in licensing at Hallmark Cards. And what all that entails is I work with a lot of the movie, TV studios, gaming, anime, anything that we license in-house on any of our products, whether that be ornaments, greeting cards, gifts, plush, any of that. I work on the product development with the teams and with the studios, whether that's Star Wars or Harry Potter or DC Comics, to develop products for Hallmark. And I also uh, do some creative leads on our conventions that we go to Comic-Con and fan conventions. And so I manage a lot of the creative and relationships and marketing and tactics we do there. <laughs> Just a couple things. Well, Just you a know, few things. Well, you know, it's great. I wanted you to kind of give an intro and like you shared everything. That was, that was incredible. Oh, we're done. Okay. Yeah, yeah we're good. Let's <laughs> talk about, let's just catch up. No, but, but there's so much to dig in here. I can't wait to do that. But before we do, I don't know if I if I know this about you. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in the town of Waco, Texas. Um, that you know, when I was growing up, or by the time I went to college, had a little bit of a tainted reputation. And thanks to Chip and Joanna Gaines, they've turned the town around, and now it's you know where everybody wants to go visit in Texas. Oh, was um, it because when you were there, that was the whole. Uh, yes, the cult, David the Koresh. Cult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 My guitar know. teacher's guitar teacher was David Koresh. So I had that's my only degree that's... of separation I have. Yeah. What Christine is referring to is for many years, the Waco siege was synonymous with Waco, Texas. Uh, the Waco siege was in 1993, and it was between David Koresh and his cult 
called the Branch Davidians, and they had a standoff with the FBI for 51 days. Uh, the Branch Davidians had barricaded themselves in their compound, and uh, basically in the end, uh, many people were killed, and it just was a terrible event. And unfortunately, for a while, was synonymous with Waco. Total side side question. Have you watched the the new Netflix documentary or something that's out on that? I, I have not. I watched the the miniseries movie they did a while okay. back, but I hadn't seen that. Yeah, no, I try to stay away from that stuff. Okay. I moved let's, out let's, let's, as soon let's as I turned on, 18. <laughs> let's focus on Chip and Joanna. God bless them. Thanks for bringing the, the town back to relevance, right? So yeah. on a bright note for Waco, uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines are remodelers and started a show uh, back in 2016. Uh, called Fixer Upper that has brought great fanfare and press to Waco. Uh, so much so that uh, Chip and Joanna have some destination restaurants and uh, places for people to visit. And they also have the Magnolia Network that really has been uh, lifting up that area and shining a bright light on Waco. All right, so you grew up in Waco and then where did you go from there? I went to North Texas and Denton for a little while. I kind of wanted to blend art and psychology because I had always grown up doing everything creative from music to art to photography to theater. And so parents wouldn't want to pay for art school. So I had to figure that out. And they said, pick a real career. So I picked psychology, but North Texas had a good art program. And so I did some, I took some art classes there, but ultimately I chose psychology originally and because UT had a better psych program I ended up transferring and graduating from UT Austin so bounced around Texas and then got a job in Atlanta and ended up going back to design school in Atlanta wow thank you for sharing that so creativity how did that show up it sounded like it showed up in a lot of different ways when you were younger but was there like a predominant outlet like did you draw, design, paint, act, what what was that for you? It was a little bit of everything for me growing up. From a from an art standpoint, I typically drew in story and I typically drew pop culture stuff, which is pretty That's primed weird. what I do now. I would draw like Star Wars stories and I would draw like, I had a character that I draw, his name was Randy, he had a big nose and I would put him things like Scooby-Doo adventures I also had a little worm that I drew and my parents used to give me a big pad of paper um, at church. So I'd keep me quiet and still at church. And I would draw little animations of this worm. I called him Leeway because it was like the Leeway Trucking Company was the brand at the top of the the, flip, the little pad oh, of paper. Hilarious. And I would do the little flipbook animations with Leeway and tell little stories. But yeah, I was always performing, you know, I would get out my jam box and lip sync culture club in front of the fireplace to my parents and I always mean, with who did photography, it? Who did video, anything, anything, music. We would make music out of trash cans and oh, uh, that was just what I did. And I continued with, you know, teaching myself different instruments throughout the year. Um, theater, I was probably a little bit better behind the scenes than I was in front of the scenes. You know, I'm, I'm fine to get on stage, but I enjoy the more creative direction process of yeah. film and television. But um, yeah. So All right. So though that's amazing. But by the way, what, what are the instruments that you play still or the best or? No, I don't 
play anymore, sadly. I taught myself how to play guitar when I was about 12. My mother, she took lessons for like a month and bought a really expensive guitar and then put it down. So I decided I would teach myself with her really expensive guitar. Like, why should it go to waste? And then by the time that they realized I was serious, they bought me actual like electric guitars. And But I also always really liked rhythm more than let's say like a like lead and I think because I always wanted to play drums and I like dancing and so I ended up teaching myself bass and then I bought a pair I bought a drum set and taught myself how to play drums and then it ultimately ended up DJing when I got too tired to actually play instruments just because it still filled that creative need without I knew I was never going to be in a band so <laughs> I, I mean besides a fun garage band with friends that never really right. performed it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so glad that we're doing this interview because I just realized I didn't know a lot of this about you and it it, it actually fills in so many wonderful spaces and just you know your story so okay you're Texas go to Atlanta go to design school so did that how did that conversation go with your parents by that time i you know had made my own money so it was i just funded it myself at the at the time they've said you know we'll pay for college but we're not paying for art school which i was like well you know i was like what i couldn't understand because all i knew was growing i was art you know i did like science and i ended up really loving psychology and i still find it a, a fantastic foundation did they, did they have an ideal career path for you like what was a real job for them not art, <laughs> not, not art, theater, not any of the things that I was really good at because they just, they were farm folk. They didn't really see, you know, it was like practical things you sure. know, that, that made money. They didn't, and, and back then, you know, design was even called commercial art, you know, and so it was very, it was very unclear and, you know, not even my counselors understood that you could get a career in art that was out of bounds of just showing in art galleries, you know. So it was really up to me to find out. And initially I wanted to go to film school and I was looking at film schools because I, I really had a love and an obsession with movies and television growing up. And ultimately I... Yeah, I don't know. I guess I chickened out. I don't know. Because it was <laughs> my own at that point, you know? It's like, I, I can't, I really can't screw this up. So I had a friend that I met that had gone to Portfolio Center and another friend that had been in design. And I found design to be very interesting. I also, advertising, I was like, well, you know, I could make commercials or MTV videos or something like that. So I went to Portfolio Center with the intent, intent to doing an advertising degree. And Mr. Hank Richardson sat me down and showed me all the, the legend. The, the legend Hank Richardson showed me the art directors club names that have won for the past oh, 20 years. And like more than half of them were designers based. And so he's like, you're a designer. <laughs> he just looked at me and said, you're a designer. And I said, okay. And so that's what I did. I ended up going back and, and doing Portfolio Center for Design. And wow. uh, yeah, got plucked right out of school from Hallmark. I had a couple of offers. One, Martha Stewart. It was the weirdest thing. I'm such a, I'm, I, why I'm a happy person, I also like very, you know, sort of dark and demented things. And I'm, I'm kind of weird. And like, I, but, these but let's just people, highlight the fact you're weird in a, a delightful way. 
in a very delightful way. Yeah, yeah. But I find I found it very odd that Folsom places like Martha Stewart and and Hallmark wanted <laughs> to hire me. I'm like, are you sure about this? Have you? Yeah, we. I guess you don't know me yet. Yeah, but that makes sense to me. I think that's really kind of looking at just your 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 length of your career. So, kind of before we go to Hallmark, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I look at you. you like if I was on a game show and I had a phone a friend and as a pop culture question, girl, you're on my list. Like there's no one even close to you. Like you're my pop culture queen. So uh, thank you. how did, like, did you realize that? Like looking back, you know, how did pop culture influence you? You know, obviously culture, you know, music is, is a, is a big way film, blah, blah, blah. But are there some tangible memories you have of pop culture being something that we're like, wow, this is, this is a thing I'm really interested in. Yeah, I mean, since I was old enough to remember watching movies and TV, I mean, obviously Star Wars had a, a huge impact on me. I think it Star Wars was the first time that I was be I was able to at least at my age extend the movie experience beyond the screen into play and into those action figures. And so I, I collected all of those action figures. I played with all those action figures. I role played outside with neighbors. It became a true obsession, but I also, it introduced me to how much I just really like science fiction. So whether that was like Battlestar Galactica, Battle of the Planets, anything that was science fiction on TV, I would, or on, on movies, I would absorb it. And uh, superheroes, I love Linda Carter and... <laughs> Yeah, well, who was your, who was so your Star who was your Star Wars role player like? Because I in my mind, I, you have that amazing Han Solo outfit. Were you Han yes. Solo? Who, who were you? I was. Yeah. Okay. I only wanted to be Han Solo. Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. I had his gun. I had his little blaster for the toy blaster, and the, all the girls in the neighborhood, you know, had to fight over who they were going to be. They wanted to all be Princess Leia, right? And I was like, well, I don't, I'm not going to fight over it. I'm Han Solo. So here it is. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, all right. So you're, you're, you're up on full school. You have, you have Martha Stewart, Hallmark. Come to you. What, A couple of ad agencies. But... Yeah. What made you pick Hallmark over Martha Stewart? It was really the interview process and, you know, Hallmark flew me out, really wanted me to like the town, wanted me to like the culture. It was, it was surprising for me, honestly, because I really did not know anything about Hallmark other than it as a greeting card company. And it ended up being so much more and so many more opportunities that, and, and they were really like, you know, you're the kind of designer we can put in any, any of our areas so i they really let me decide how i wanted to navigate my start my career there and martha stewart they just wanted to hire me for packaging they were like we're we don't have money to move you you know it felt very much like a dime a dozen sure like you was know, that new york was that going to new yeah, york yeah it was new york and it was pre 9 11 it was six months prior to 9 11 so that would have completely changed my whole trajectory yeah of how how life <laughs> would have gone you know, I can't imagine had I made some of, you know, that that choice, not only just trying to live in New York, which was on the same salary. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was also a little older. I had had a career in psychology like five years. And so for me, it was like not that big of a deal. Like if I would have been maybe 22 right out of school, hadn't had another career, I might have said, I want to move to New York. You know, I'm, I'm going to work for Martha Stewart. And I want to I would have had to done the rat race and, you know, maybe moved on to other things. But at the time. 
period I was in my life, I just said, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go. They're gonna move me. What do I have to lose to try this? And I always wanted to live in LA, probably because of movies and television. And I said, hey, it's halfway there. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, okay. So if I have my math right, you've been a Hallmark for over 20 years or approaching 20 years? Yeah, I am close to 22, but wow. you're not supposed to remind me of these things. <laughs> no, because I mean, I mean, you're you're barely in your 30s. So yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just yeah. Yeah. well, here's a question I had for you. And I, I think, and the reason I, I brought up the years, because I was thinking about Gordon McKenzie and yep. his yeah. influence. And did you miss him? Was he gone? Yeah, I did miss him. I did. I mean, I, I did not miss his influence. And that was the first book I read when I was headed to home. Already in the giant hairball. So, yes. Yeah. And, so that's, and, and, that was my question. You kind of peaked it a little bit. So what was his influence? Like, did in what ways did you feel his influence at Hallmark? Gordon McKenzie worked for three decades at Hallmark. He was a brilliant artist. And he also wrote and colorfully illustrated a book titled Orbiting the Giant Hairball, A Corporate Fool's Guide to Surviving with Grace. And in this book, he pretty much takes this gray corporate America decision-making kind of hierarchy that he was experiencing, which he called the hairball, and gives suggestions on how to uh, live outside the hairball to orbit it and exist without being sucked in while also performing and being amazing at your job. It is a wonderful book. And if you're interested in his career, look him up. He did some amazing things when it comes to leadership, creativity, and thinking differently. You can still see some remnants of how he had developed some of the creative studios and how he had really explore, let creatives explore freedom and be themselves. Like there was, why there was still a rigidity to the fact that you were walking into a corporate environment. There were definitely areas that creatives were able to personalize their boost, personalize their space. The writing studio had, you know, mismatched, crazy eclectic furniture. And that was, that was during his sort of reign is when yeah. some of that started to happen. So, so yeah, I mean, I, you could, I mean, you could still feel his, his presence and, and how he had influenced that culture when I, when I got in. That's amazing. So before you went, you know, and, and maybe ask is a two-part question for our listeners. So before you went for question one was, I think to most people, if you said Hallmark with maybe the exception of the Hallmark channel now, right. Which is kind of probably shifting right. people's perception. Did you feel that you were going to go to Hallmark and design like greeting cards? I mean, I did when I first was offered to go there to interview. And so, but because they were going to fly me out, I felt like I had nothing to lose to go and check it out. So I, I did that and I found out that there were, it had so many layers to it, so many things. And they really nurtured creatives in-house. They had a lot of resources for creatives to be creative, whether that was, you know, the, a creative library. They had they have their own art store in the actual building. Awesome. Um, they have a world-class art collection, art and photography collection that they've collected over time, some of the biggest artists, and it's just hanging on the walls like a museum. So you could just feel when you walked in that it had this create this creative culture and this place that wanted to nurture creativity and that to me was really enticing it was really attractive and the fact that they nurtured they they had the creatives like about what they wanted to do outside of greeting cards and so when they did they you know have other businesses they started other businesses or they acquired other businesses 
they would have their their creatives move over into those businesses instead of just hiring out. And so it gave creatives opportunity to kind of like spread their wings and not feel like I'm going to make greeting cards or ornaments or whatever my entire career. That's awesome. All right. So for those who may not know this and, and you can talk about where they're at now and then we'll kind of go back to, you know, kind of your entry point and how you've gotten to the position you're now. What sort of things does Hallmark do outside of the greeting card perception? Well, high level, they you, you already mentioned they own the Hallmark Channel. So Crown Media, Hall of Fame, which were movies that they used to do specials. They own Crayola. That's something that a lot of people do. Oh, I didn't know do. that. Yeah, we acquired Crayola in the 80s. So, I uh, mean, like then, anytime you want the Box 64 or the sharpener, you just can get one? I We can get discounted Crayola items. So, <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, we have a we have a discount store called the, the Double D. It's a double discount store and, and many. And so items that we sell, including Crayola items, sometimes end, end up there, like if it's out of season or whatever. Beyond greeting cards, ornaments actually is Keepsake Ornaments, which is our our biggest ornament brand, celebrating their 50th this year. Wow. So we've been creating ornaments for 50 years. And I was fortunate enough to come in at a time where, especially in licensing, to watch that business really grow tenfold with a, a total other ornament brand outside of keepsakes and just becoming one of the the most revered ornament producers now in America. That, that's that been really fun to watch that business blossom and grow. And also a gifts business, we used to do a little bit more allied, like buying in other people's gifts into our stores and retail. We started a retail business where we were making all of the gifts in-house, including books, which I was in for a stint. And so I, you know, I get to work on that product too when it's licensed and that can be anything from, you know, desktop, you know, or a kitchen item to like a novelty item to little collector plush. So, and then gift wrap, bags, stickers, all those other sort of like stationary accessories, including stationary and journals themselves to do a lot of party items, particularly for licensed. So. It's been a little, you know, been a little, we did flowers for a little while. We did chocolate. I mean, they've delved into other businesses. We've done side businesses that, you know, that we've started just to kind of see, test the waters with the different things. They've been very, over the years, I've watched the company really dip in and out of things to, to at least try and see other new things that fit within their wheelhouse. Wow. Thank you for that. Yeah. All right. So you choose hallmark you start your career so kind of where did you start and then how has that progressed yeah so like i had mentioned they they were very good about you know wanting to make sure that i came and wanting to make sure they had a good offer so they did tell me they're like well where do you they asked me where in the company i want to work like what company asked you that That's you know just like you're gonna work over here and there was a division at that time called Hallmark Loyalty. And they basically, there was a, I can't remember his name, I feel really bad, but at the time he, he wrote a book about consumer loyalty marketing and Hallmark decided to do a little bit like, how can we do relationship marketing out of a group that we were doing, we call business expressions. So greeting cards for companies. We were doing some other small giftables, water globes and other things for companies sort of best customers, right? You know, in your 
a best credit card customer, if you get a green card from a state farm agent, you know, things like that. We were doing those giftables to those, but we took it a step further and said, what if we can bring that emotional presence into some of their B2B advertising and even their consumer advertising. So that emotional language that we can produce through our writers, through our visual voice and bring some of that into these brands. So it was like a little mini advertising agency inside a Hallmark, which was, which was wild. And at the time I was on the State Farm account. So I even, they, they would bring all of their advertising groups together and God, in the middle of Indiana, I can't remember exactly where it was, or is it Illinois? It might be Illinois. Yeah, Bloomington, um, Illinois, yeah, yeah. Illinois, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. And we and we would meet once a month to, to kind of make sure all of our branding was like, you know, in, in check, because all of these different pieces were put out. So that was a that was a really great experience just to be able to do this. That's, that's something you would not have expected to happen when you're going into a brand like Hallmark to work on these other brands. Right. Um, and then at the time I was also kind of worried that I would have a, a hit portfolio from them. So I started doing a little bit of nonprofit work around Kansas City. Kansas City was really booming at that point, building up the city, more things inside the city, bars, restaurant, theater. And I was able to meet a lot of people where I was able to do some nonprofit work to kind of expand my portfolio beyond what I was doing at Hallmark as well and joined AIGA right away. So that also helped make some connections. <laughs> I love it. But that was number one. That was step number one. Yeah. Yes. Like how did you transition into the pop culture space? Well, it was, it was interesting when I was in that area, the head of licensing at the time had heard that I had a psych degree and heard that I was really good with clients and a good designer. So if mixing all those things together was, she thought was a good succession plan for a position over in licensing, which is the position I have now. So she approached me about if I would be interested in it. And I was like, do you do Star Wars? She said, yes. I go, yes, I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> and so at the time though, there was no position. She was just kind of greasing the wheels for the future. I actually ended up going over, Hallmark started to bring all of their marketing in-house. And so I went over to the corporate design group to do all of the internal branding, marketing, all of that stuff. So we did anything from, you know, in-store signage and event t-shirts to CDs that we did with different musicians. We'd have specialty CDs. So I got to meet and Olivia Newton-John, which was my idol because I got to do her album. That was an awesome. That's how you met her. Oh man. Cause I saw I that post. I saw that post. Yeah. So it was really and cool. She passed. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it was, that was, that was a hard one. Cause yeah, she was one of my idols growing up for sure. For sure. But that was, that was definitely icing on the cake and uh, Hallmark flowers was, was one of my bigger accounts because we were really trying to grow that business during the time. So it was really interesting to kind of see that world. So flip from working on non Hallmark to working on only Hallmark brand materials. And then when they started retail, they were growing a books business and uh, I went over to gift books. And, and it's one of the first fully Hallmark gift books where the, the writing was done by a Hallmark writer, the design was done by a Hallmark designer. Cause we were just, 
kind of changing at the time we were licensing books and then just changing the covers to make it look like our aesthetic of our store but we did end-to-end -end covers at that time and so that was really rewarding but at the same time for somebody like me to sit for four months with a book was a little draining because as much as I love design I love to talk and I love to get around people and that's you're 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 stuck with this one baby I, I like going from project to project not one project yeah so I that then that position came open in licensing and so I applied for it and came over to licensing and at the time they were really growing their movie and TV portfolio, which was really prime for me who was obsessed. So I already knew so much about pop culture. It was a really easy transition for me to be able to consult around the, the building about all of these different properties and how we could best utilize them in each of our product categories. All right, so before we go there, so you got to meet Olivia Newton-John like in person. Yeah, so when I first got to interview her, she was in Australia and we did a phone interview first for the album. And then she was touring for that album and she it was in Omaha, actually. And so I bought tickets in Omaha because she wasn't coming to Kansas City. And then I talked to my marketing partner that did the deal with her and I said, what are the chances that I can get backstage passes? And like, it was so easy. It was like, sure, of course. And so I got a backstage pass and was able to meet her. I got my Xanadu album signed. I got my Sandy Grease card signed. I got a couple of things signed for friends. And she was very gracious and sweet. I bought her some chocolates. I think she had to hand them to somebody in case, in, who had to test them in case I was some crazy person. Right, but right. <laughs> well, at least she didn't make homemade cookies. That's always weird when someone. Yeah, made. that's even that's that's too weird. That's too weird. Yeah. So oh, but we had, she had her dog with her. It was very oh. sweet. So. Oh man, thanks for sharing that. I was I was a big fan, am a big fan as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what were the properties then? Like, what were the big ones? Because I don't I don't know if everyone realizes like Hallmark, I believe today I was looking on the website has some of the biggest properties in the world. Yeah, I mean our longest relationship has been with Disney, and that's since 30, 1932. Walt Disney and our founder J.C. Hall were friends actually. And Walt Disney actually went to our school in Kansas City. He lived in Kansas oh, wow. City. So there's there, there's rumors that Mickey was actually drawn before he moved to California in various ways here first, but not commercialized till he went to California. Once he started to build Mickey Mouse, JC called him up. It's I mean probably close with the exception of some some licensed art deals. One of the first sort of more commercial licensing deals that I can think of on record. So that was, that's really cool. So we've had a long relationship with Disney. Prior to Disney purchasing Star Wars, of course, we had a deal with Lucasfilm. And when I came in, they were just finishing up Revenge of the Sith. So I sort of missed all of the prequels. And then it was really the licensing said, well, there's no more theatrical. So we really want you to, we're challenging you to see how you can leverage this property. And I was like, no problem, no problem. <laughs> I got um, it. Yeah, yeah, I got this. But at the time, we were also building what was to become one of our biggest sort of pop culture moments, and that is sound cards. We had developed the technology to put chips in cards. And so they thought beyond music, one of the best things to do was to pull movie quotes. And so we went and got deals with just every major studio, What you know, whether that was... Uh, well, we already had one with Warner Brothers, so we just expanded that. Universal, 
Sony, Paramount, all of those, and looked at their their full portfolio of classic movies, television, and had to like work through all the complexities of that, whether that be talent and and everything else. But it was fun because I got to go out to all the studios and do brainstorm. One of the other really big ones that we went after at the time was Simpsons was being rebooted into a movie. And so I was a huge Simpsons fan as well growing up. And so they they put me on it and they said, you know, this one isn't about, this isn't, you know, we got to get this Pat, it's Matt Granning. So he needs to make sure like the, the voice and the creative is on point. And I thought, this is not a problem for me. So they, I guess they had tried before to, and, and they were denied from a creative standpoint. So I, they gave me all everything they'd ever had pitched to Matt before. And I went through it all. And I and the thing that I noticed right away was that we were trying to make greeting cards with Simpsons on them instead of making Simpsons greeting cards. And it was a very mm. simple shift in, in how you thought about the strategy. And it made sense for Hallmark because Hallmark is a, a leader in greeting cards. They understand why people, but, but how do you like bridge those two things, those two strategies together? So I really was involved in, in figuring that and my first thing I did was I did a cross-company call for entries for all Simpsons fans. If you were a Simpsons fans, give us ideas. And so me and one of the humor art directors got together and just calmed through all those and said and worked with our team to figure out what are the best ones we can put together some mock-ups and just show him this is really it. And that's what we did. We did a whole big presentation. I, I, I changed the water over to like Simpsons water where it had Blinky, the three-eyed fish on it, and like Duff beer coasters. We made all of this stuff and did this entire presentation. So they really understood that we understood their brand and that we could translate their brand to fans, but also make it sellable to our consumers who, you know, because making green cards is trickier than you think because you're, mm. you, you're not making it for the end user that buys it. You're not well. You're making it for the end user. You're not making it for the purchase. You're making it for the purchaser too. So the it's a relationship between yeah. two people versus just saying this person is going to buy this thing for right. itself. So it, it was it was fun. We got the business. It was very exciting to be able to. It's probably one of my first big like ting, you know, like little feather in the cap kind of thing. So awesome. Well, share with me. I know COVID kind of threw this into crazy, but if, if you can sort of generalize for me, what does a year look like for you? Because I know you go to a lot of shows and all that sort of thing. So what is sort of, is it, I, I'm going to assume at some level, some of the stuff is seasonal because you have you have to go to buyers and that sort of thing, right? Or, or shows, that sort of thing. Is that is that fairly accurate? It. I mean... A lot of our stuff is seasonal. Obviously, we do stuff around holidays. and But of course, everything is every day. So two. So we're doing both at the same time. Because I'm working across all of our categories, including packaging, visual merchandising, marketing, you know, anything extended of that product and how it goes to shelf and market. Because it, it really, it's anything end to end that has that those brands that I work on, on it will we'll go through me and I will I will help the teams make sure that it's you know on point and uh, so i am working with everything all at once you know i'm working two years in advance i'm working on may the fourth right now on a campaign that's going to happen in two weeks so 
you know, it's, it's really kind of, it's a perfect for a person that has ADD because <laughs> I, I can't, I can't tell you what I'm going to walk into every day. So it's not, it's not for the people that like rigid schedules and know exactly what their work's going to be and can leave their work at the end of the day. You know, it's definitely one of those things that you have to be able to switch your brain from project to project, from property to property, from category to category on a, you know, within minutes time. And so Christmas is pretty much year round because ornaments are now year round too, you know, we're because we're sculpting, that's such a long process. And same thing with some of the 3D collectibles that we do. So, you know, we're, we're, fin we're finishing 24 right now. And when did, you, when did you start the May the 4th be with you campaign? Probably January, we start to talk about it, you know, but it's, it's, it's one of our bigger things we do every year. That was fun to watch that grow because that was a fan holiday. And I, early on, I kind of said, Hey, we were doing at the time we had, been, we had been doing e-greetings and a lot of video cards and video greetings at the time. And I said, wouldn't it be cool just to like for a fan, cool fan thing is to share a video that all fans can share that day. And so that's kind of how it started is just to like put up something that fans could share. And Lucasfilm hadn't gotten behind it from any other way. And then now it's become a full like oh, big discounts and, you know, here's all of our products. And so which is cool so now we're you know every category looks at it we have a it affects every part of our business and so we do a big discount and campaign for it every year but i i try to never lose that piece we always have at least a, a still sort of wish image if you that fans can share and i and i always say you know don't lose the fact that this is a fan holiday don't you know you can sell stuff but don't you know always keep that piece in mind so it's awesome all right so you have you're working on these properties there's lots of things going on and then you go to shows right different yes. conferences and shows and that has taken you to some really cool interesting places does shows still invigorate you you know i always as i get older because i've been doing i've been doing comic cons now for 16 plus years in fan, you know, Star Wars conventions, Star Trek conventions. I, as I get older, I'm like, can I keep up? You know, like <laughs> it's, it's physically and mentally draining because you're on your feet all day. You're talking to fans all day. And then at night you're, you know, talking to industry and, you know, going out to all the parties and all of that stuff. And so I, I especially after COVID, I was like, can I keep up? Because everybody slowed down. And then, so when we went back in 22, I didn't know how my energy level was. Like I couldn't register it personally. And a, a fan that has, has become sort of a friend was on my Facebook account and sent me a note I, I, or commented on one of my posts and said, you know, I always love coming to the Hallmark booth because I love your energy and passion that you can, you always exude. And it was, it was, it was like, oh, okay, I finally got some affirmation that I guess I still have that energy and still have that passion. And I bring it to the booths, no matter how long I've, I've been doing it. And no matter how tired I am from the night before. So <laughs> that's, that's amazing. All right. So I am going to ask you some lightning round questions, sort of light game showy. And a side note, if there's a story that you start telling and later you're like, no, we're not going to tell that story. I'll cut it. Okay. <laughs> All, right. All right. Here we go. 
All right. So of all of the shows that you go to, yeah, what is the show that is you look forward to the most, most intense, best costumes, whatever category you want to use? What would that be? That is so hard because the, well, each show has a different thing. Lightning, I mean, San Diego is the, the ultimate. I mean, you it's hard to beat because of all of the things that are going on and in all of the properties that you get to work on. But, you know, the others definitely have a special place. Like Star Wars is, is for Star Wars fans, is unbeatable. And, you know, New York is is just a totally different experience. So they all have their their flavor. Okay, top couple. Christine Taylor, Comic-Con co- Comic-Con costumes or show costumes with some of your top ones. Oh my gosh. I like all the weird ones. So yeah, I, I the one the ones you've been in. Oh, the ones I've been in? Yeah. I, yeah. I've really I've really only been in Han Solo and Ray costumes, and that's because my at, at the actual convention. And that's yeah. because my friends had the costumes and they put me in it. I've always wanted to be in armor. I always wanted to to see what it was like to wear stormtrooper gear. I mean, yeah. Other than that, I've just done like things like Pris from Blade Runner at Halloween and, and yeah. stuff like that. I've not I feel like you being in armor is like a doable thing. I'm thinking like you could make that happen. I probably I, I could. I have Especially enough with, like Mandalorian now and everything. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't mind. Well, I, I actually do have Bo-Katan's helmet back there too. So of you do. I, I've got the helmets. I, I just need I need the armor now. I, there's definitely, it was a life-changing experience. I, I was, I had never played before this moment when my friends that do costuming put me in this and I walked the floor and I just had a complete new respect for cosplayers in general. Just the, it's, it's a lot. I can't even imagine what it's like in armor. It's a lot because everyone is stopping you, but it's also so rewarding to see people especially kids who actually sometimes think you're the character, you know, yeah. and they just want a picture with you. It's, and you're, you're part of their, their moment at that time. And it's so, it's, it's really special. So I understand it from that point of view. There's a, there's an emotional and a community connection that you get with fans when you cosplay and you're able to be a part of their special moment of attending that show. And the hard part is, especially with you're in a super cool outfit, you can never get across the floor, but that's what, <laughs> five days of comic-con is for when you don't cosplay you do the floor and And you have and you have people in all spectrums right like you have people that will that will be in a great costume and just kind of be themselves you have other people that be a costume and will actually play that character right they they, they won't break character right so you you have the spectrum totally totally yeah all right can you remember you said you like the weirder ones can you remember a couple that you that just pop in your mind of like gosh this costume was amazing or that that experience was incredible from a from an attendee. The amazing ones I see are the ones that build like full mechanical machines, you know, like transformers that are this big or, you know, they're in like alien monster outfits. And those those to me are incredible. Or even just some of the droids that the droid builders, there's a, a full size probe droid that now remote controls around. Star Wars celebration, you know, this guy built people. I mean, that that kind of stuff amazes me. But I love kooky things like when people probably one of my favorite dumb scenes from Spaceballs is when the alien comes out of the stomach, which is still John Hurt, and does the little the little Michigan J Frog dance across yeah. the thing with the hello, my darling. Yeah. So somebody had that, had had the alien with the, <laughs> the top hat and the cane busting out of their stomach, like 
that I love seeing that kind of moment that's sort of like, you know, tongue in cheek is like kind of down there in the insider of, you know, a moment versus like a really popular character done well. So that's amazing. Okay. So when it comes to places that you have, that your job has taken to, you two, what are some of the coolest ones? I think at one point, maybe you told me you went to Skywalker Ranch. Did that happen? Yeah, that was, yeah, that has to be the, probably the coolest, I would say, <laughs> for for somebody that's a fan like me. I yeah. mean, it's sort of like the penultimate thing to be able to do. So it's it's like one of in, also my, one in of my brain, Skywalker Ranch has to be amazing. Is it just amazing? Like, and, and if so, what are some of the highlights of it that that you know most of us will never see? The archives. Okay. The archives are the thing that blew mind blowing for me. I mean, the ranch is beautiful itself. I've been to the ranch several times for events and things and and viewings, and you know the the house is beautiful. The whole setting is beautiful, but the going to the archives and being able to see all of the original trilogy—I won't say all, but many of the original trilogy items from costume to models to you know paint backgrounds—and for Indiana Jones too. Oh yeah. Uh, even Howard the Duck was sitting on one of the low shelves. I mean, it was just, <laughs> it's funny. Um, but uh, to be able to see that part of history of a movie that, you know, was your favorite movie in childhood is is kind of an unexplainable feeling. So so that was absolutely that. And then it's also something you can't take a pictures and publish of. So you'll ne- you won't see anyone that's one of the... F- first things you have to do. I have this really cool- So what, you have to give up your phone? You don't necessarily have to give up your phone because we can take pictures, but it's for personal use. They will not allow you to, you'll get banned if you post anything socially. But one of the, one of my favorite things, they do let you like pose with things. Like there was a, a lightsaber that they have that was sort of, the, they, they practice on set to see if they could the, the light could actually reflect off of it so they didn't have to do actual post with the lightsaber and so it was just sort of this like crazy rod and so they took a picture of us with flash to show us how it worked and sure enough when you shot it 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 looked like a blue lightsaber and i was like this is the coolest thing <laughs> like because it was made you know in the 70s when yeah. they were trying to do this just trying to figure out how to do camera tricks um, the, the old-fashioned way, and I think seeing that sort of you know ingenuity, and I don't know if if anyone has Disney Plus, but the ILM documentary on there is is fantastic. I mean, especially for creatives that are just to watch their minds, this innovation, and just build this company from the ground up was is just a really inspiring and, and very actually heartfelt and emotional way that that Disney did that documentary. I highly recommend it. Well, thank you for that. Okay. Give me, I know Olivia Newton-John was is a forever highlight, but you've been able to meet and mingle with some of, you know, some legendary characters and, and uh, celebrities. So give me some of your top experiences there. The funniest thing about Comic-Con is I run into people in the elevators. So those those are usually sort of like the fun moments where I run into to bigger people, but that those aren't like the penultimate types of Things like when I got to meet George Lucas, obviously, I've met all the star, most of the stars cast except for Harrison Ford, who is near and dear to my heart. I will, I've seen him in person, but I have never been able to meet him. That would be wow. my, that would be the, 
the icing on the cake. I don't need to meet anybody else after that. But some of the fun things that I got to do with celebrities was the Walking Dead cast. I got to see them every year on Coronado Island because we were working with Walking Dead at the time. And they're, they're just to, to watch a cast that, you know, in the early seasons that just appreciate every moment being there to being as big as they were by the end. And just to see to see them grow, but still not change as, as humans, just be very personable and love the whole fandom and just it was it, it was fun to watch good things happen to good people, you know? And so when you meet some of those fans, you know, Zachary Levi used to throw a big third HQ and we did a thing with them one time, you know, and to watch him from, you know, Chuck to, you know, Shazam, kind of fun as long as I've been there just to meet people early and watch watch them grow, you know? And somebody like Dave Filoni, who does Mandalorian, you know, he was just starting Clone Wars. When they started Clone Wars, he was at first little summit I went to and I got to meet him. And just like I got to see him every time I went to Lucasfilm to now. And he used to always come by our booth and talk to us. So they can't even walk the floor now because he's so popular. And, you know, I'm, I'm really I really love seeing the that growth and in, in people and how to watch their careers because I've been able to kind of see it a little bit behind the scenes right but uh I, I don't know I mean fun run-ins with everybody John, John Favreau gave me uh tickets to Cowboys versus Aliens once in an elevator Harry Potter was in my elevator once uh oh Daniel Radcliffe the was Hulk, yeah the I, I mean Many, many people, you just, Sean Astin's my elevator. My, I need just like a list. Yeah, you of need an elevator. Just met an elevator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The elevator list is long. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. But I, I, it's, you know, being able to talk to people that are just so excited about their career. That's the great thing about Comic-Con is it's people, a lot of people in some of these sci-fi movie TV things that are just excited to be on a hit show, right? And yeah. so it's fun to watch that in their eyes. As the the bigger people that come to Comic Con, they're shuffling. They're not going to parties, or you're just not running into them on the street, right? They're shuffling them in and out. You know, the Tom Cruises and the Harrison Fords that show right. up. It's fun to watch everyone else that's at you know a, a, an approachable level. Let me put it that yeah. way. <laughs> Have you? I think I saw this. Have you ran into Pedro Pascal yet? I did. Yeah, I did run into Pedro at Star Wars Celebration. So we do an interview on the Star Wars live stage every year to talk about our products. And he just happened to be the interview before me. And Rosario Dawson was the interview after me. So I, I got to very briefly meet both of them. I only got a quick snap of Pedro because he was signing something and was right next to me. And I kind of went like this because his agent was like pulling him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know? they just have, that's the same thing is they have to just go take them from place to place, you know, and they're signing for fans and stuff. And, and so they're super busy. So it's cool when you just get to kind of run into them backstage. So yeah, it was definitely uh, mm. awesome. He's a, he's a cool guy. He totally wanted to just sit around and talk, but his agent was like, <laughs> well, it's funny because I was watching the La uh, Last of Us behind the scenes thing, and they were talking about. It seems like Pedro is the guy that would totally just have a beer with you at the bar, and you would just talk about whatever. Yeah, yeah. it totally seems like that. I don't, I don't know him personally, but yeah. Yeah. the brief encounter I had, I can one hundred percent see that. Yeah. Well, here's a question for you. So you you could tell stories forever and and you know there's so there obviously there's way more to you and and what you're about than pop culture and and 
what you're doing at Hallmark. And 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 those things are are a lot of the things that are really connect us. Do you have you taken a a moment and just kind of look back and thought, wow, here's this kid who Star Wars was such a big part of her life. And I just the the thing that you said that just resonated with me is like, oh, I've been to Skywalker Ranch a couple of times. I mean, do you do you take a chance or do you think about like, wow, this is pretty this is pretty rad? No, I appreciate that moment every time, you know, every time I've ever gone. I, and that and that wow moment I never lose just because I've I've been to it, right? And I extremely appreciative of my career, but it was also something that I it probably subconsciously navigated because of my passion around movies and television. I think probably the the moment that was great for me was so the two things my parents told me were, you know, they're not going to pay for art school. But when I was a kid, they told me that TV was going to rot my brain and that I couldn't sit, shouldn't sit in front of it all the time. <laughs> and so, and, but they're also the ones that are buying me like Star Wars character, you know, all right. the Star Wars toys. So. And they, so weren't the only parents, they weren't the only parents saying that too. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And so when all this started to happen, I went back to them and I was like, see, <laughs> art school and watching television does pay off. <laughs> and they actually sat down and said, we are so sorry. We never realized that you could do something like this in your career. And we're sorry we didn't recognize that. And I was like, in that moment, you know, made me realize. How did, how did that feel? Well, I mean, it felt great. Well, it felt great because I did it on my own, you know, because I think, you know, I, I kind of just, I goofed off a lot in school, so I didn't really ever think about a career path. So when they told me I couldn't go to art school, I was like, what the hell am I going to do now? You know, and and I, I felt like I relied so much on them telling me what I needed to do that I chose this path for myself. And I probably just kind of took it step by step by saying, you know, well, I love this, so I want to work on it. And that's how I've been able to kind of navigate that career. You know, some of it's being the right place, the right time, but a lot of it's following your passion and what you care about and what you love. So, so yeah, all of those moments are like that. I mean, be, every time I run into a star, sometimes just when I'm at Comic-Con and I've, you know, been doing it for almost two decades now. And, and just to appreciate that, that moment and to be able to share it with other fans, that gets work on stuff that they love and you love too and have that shared experience and be able to have a conversation with them about that in person is, is a big deal to me too. It's, it's just as big of a deal to going to all of these cool places, you know? So that those type of interactions and those type of moments really gives you kind of that heartwarming feeling, you know? And when everyone might not associate Hallmark and some of these, you know, sci-fi properties or even pop culture properties beyond like a Disney or a Peanuts, you start to realize the connections that you are creating with these with this fan community by you know offering things that they really love that you love and that they can share with their their kids or their friends or their family i mean that reinforces what hallmark is about too and you start to realize that it isn't it isn't just funny games it is funny games because i get to play every day because i play with the things i love but it also is something that is that has some meaning to it. And I am um, so I, I appreciate every moment of that, of being able to carry what 
I loved into my childhood and bring it to other people that grew up and, and loved it in their childhood too. And even seeing things that I don't, I don't know a lot about and seeing the fandom and people like anime, like I'm working on anime right now and just seeing that same type of passion that they bring to those characters that I loved with Star Wars or some of the other properties is just a cool thing that you, you see it in a fan's eyes and it's, and it's an amazing experience just to witness that. Mm. Well, I am so incredibly grateful that you are the person in that seat because of everything you just described, but also just the openness and passion to understand that connection that we have to creativity and story and, you know, really tradition, bringing in memories and, and you know, some of the best parts of pop culture. But thank you, my friend, for doing all the work that you do. Oh, thank you, Justin. I appreciate it. Love talking to you. Thank you, Christine, for being passionate about culture, connections, and story, for being a dear friend, a guest on the show, and of course, may the force be with you. I also want to thank Sleeping At Last for providing our show's soundtrack. For more on Sleeping At Last music, please go to sleepingatlast.com or search for Sleeping At Last wherever you get your music from. To design of audio engineer Steve Wick, who loved this episode so much and made him think of his favorite sci-fi moment. I have a reputation. Mulder, look, they feel your methods, your theories are... Spooky. Do you think I'm spooky? I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. If so, please give us a ranking on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Tell others about our show and your social of choice. And stay tuned for more Design Of coming soon. Please follow us on Twitter at Design Of Podcast and check out our site at rule29.com forward slash design of podcast. See you next episode.